This podcast from Teacher is supported by the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. Continue your learning to enrich the potential of your students and shape the classroom. Welcome to the first ever Teacher Talks, a podcast event hosted by Teacher Magazine and proudly brought to you by our podcast supporter, the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. My name is Rebecca Vukovic, I'm Deputy Editor of Teacher Magazine, and it is my pleasure to share with you the very special interview we recorded in Melbourne in front of a live audience of teachers and school leaders. Our guest, Dr. Lynn Sharrett, is a highly accomplished practitioner, researcher, author and presenter. She holds a doctorate from the University of Toronto and coordinates the doctoral internship program in the Leadership, Higher and Adult Education Department at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. In this episode, I sit down with Lynn to discuss one specific leadership approach learning walks and talks. We have a lot to cover in this episode, from building a culture of trust amongst staff for learning walks and talks, to the nuts and bolts of how to do a learning walk and talk effectively and confidently. What's also really exciting about this episode is you'll be hearing from several audience members who had the opportunity to ask Lynn their questions about learning walks and talks in a way that was specific to their school contexts. Let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Lynn Sharrett. Thank you. Lynn, thanks for joining us tonight. So let's start off by covering off some of the basics. What are some of the underlying principles of learning walks and talks? Well, thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. It's pretty exciting to be a first. (laughs) And uh, I just want to talk about uh, the overarching research we've done. Um, I've done with Michael Fullen on the 14 parameters of system and school improvement. So 14 areas that we look at that uh, we know when integrated and Work uh, worked in concert that they make a difference to increasing students' achievement. And within those 14 parameters, there's always the question that we're asking as leaders. How do we know that all of our students are learning? So learning walks and talks are a tool to support leaders and teacher leaders to answer that question. They also empower and enhance learning for us as instructional leaders. They offer opportunities to provide appropriate support for students and teachers. They give us data uh, to plan our next steps in professional learning. And when I think about that, um, data that we uh, ensure informs our next steps for learning come from the walks and talks we do in our schools. As well, uh, learning walks and talks uh, develop those opportunities to have conversations, authentic conversations uh, with our teachers. And finally, that data we're collecting really um, gives us information about the trends and patterns across our school and also across schools when we walk together with others. Yeah, and I want to ask about the protocols next. What are the protocols for learning walks and talks? Yeah. So uh, it's really important that the first protocol is that learning walks and talks are not judgmental. They're not evaluative. We have a pathway for that um, in Ontario called teacher performance appraisal. That is not what learning walks and talks are about. So when we're in classrooms, and I say five to seven minutes, because all of us can find five to seven minutes over time during a week. Um, We don't take pencils in, we don't uh, take notes in, we're not sitting at the back of the room uh, writing observation notes. So it's a time for us to walk into classrooms, um, read the walls, 
look at what students are doing, what the teachers are doing, and it's a time for us to uh, collect that data on evidence of our um, professional learning that we've been providing uh, our teachers. As well, it's really important in this protocol that we don't interrupt the instruction. So there's no greeting to the teacher. Um, there's not, if we're walking with someone else, we don't uh, talk to each other. It's an, a time for us to really observe uh, what we're seeing in the classroom. And if we get a chance after um, we are in the classroom and there isn't direct teaching, we may kneel down and ask a student five questions. So after many walks in classrooms, the last protocol is, um, is there an authentic question we want to ask the teacher that we want to know more about as a leader? Mm. And you've said, and I'm going to quote you to yourself here, leaders need to clearly articulate a shared vision. Changes in teacher beliefs and motivation only come after changes in practice. So how do leaders ensure that they have all staff on board before starting on this journey? Well, I think uh, all of our work starts with relationship building and trust. And I think we really have to show teachers that when we're in classrooms, focused on one thing that we've been uh, working on in our collaborative inquiries or our professional learning sessions within PLCs that we really aren't evaluating. We're looking at uh, practices in classrooms to understand them and become even better instructional leaders. And I think that's, um, that's the work over time to build that trust. And so teachers at first, I think, might be skeptical until they really see that we're sincere uh, in learning about best practice and rolling up our sleeves and supporting our teachers, working alongside them. Yeah. Let's talk now about the process because all learning walks and talks begin at the data wall mm -hmm. in order to establish that emotional connection to each student. So what kinds of questions are leaders asking themselves during this part of the process? Yeah. So uh, I've written uh, quite a bit in uh, my new book, Clarity, about uh, data walls as uh, prevention so that we know all of our students and the case management meetings that follow um, as intervention. So when I come to a data wall and uh, I look at it, I want to know who the students are that are struggling, who the students are who are stuck and not moving forward, and then what's happening for the students who are um, really extending their thinking and perhaps not being extended enough. So our data walls are not just about struggling students. And um, questions that I ask when I'm at the data wall, how was it constructed? Who constructed it? Was it co-constructed with the teachers? Was there a data set that all teachers um, thought they could use to begin the construction of the data wall? And then I might uh, ask, um, teachers and principals standing beside me at the data wall. Um, what are you most proud of um, in the co-construction of your wall? Where might I go to see where this student is who is perhaps stuck? And um, where might I go to uh, look for this face of this student who's flying high? And I can ask the student those five questions. So many things come. Um, to mind at the data wall, but I'm always um, aware that the data wall is about instruction. So here's the assessment of where our students are, and um, what we want to know is what are the instructional st starting points for this student to go from the level they're on to actually the next level and way beyond. So conversations are always about um, ass in assessment that informs instruction. Yeah. And Lynn, I've read that learning walks and talks are most effective when they occur daily, but briefly. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, because schools are such busy places, how likely is it th that this could actually happen? Well, for me, um, our learning walks and talks need to be integrated into what we're already doing in the school. So um, I might um, 
as a leader, be going into the school to do into the um, classroom to do an errand. And on the way to do that errand, I might stop to do a very purposeful, focused five-minute walk and talk. So that's uh, that's really um, the way I could do it mm-hmm. every day. Another way is to actually um, put it in my my daily planner, my schedule for the week, and a walk beside a colleague. So it's in the planner, it's scheduled, and uh, we're going to go on a walk together for five or seven minutes and then have a conversation afterwards. So there's many ways to do walks. One is, while we're already out in the school, the other is absolutely scheduled. So we're very um, focused that we're going to keep that five to seven minutes sacred and it's important too to mix up the time of day that they take place isn't it absolutely so we want to see uh, right across the school day how our students are learning what our students uh, are doing in their performance tasks what uh, what um, strategies are teachers using to ensure there's critical thinking uh, in the tasks that students are doing so we want to see it and we want to see that happening in science in maths in in English uh, right th- throughout the day for sure. Yeah. So Lynn, let's talk now about the actual walk itself. So let's just pretend for a moment that you're a school leader conducting a learning walk and talk. I'd like to get really specific here. So what are you looking out for? What are you observing? And what are you thinking about? So we'd start um, our walk at the data wall and um, we might look at a face that we're concerned about and walk to find that particular face and ask the five questions of that student. Uh, and then think about um, that face on the wall was a concern for the teachers uh, as they co-constructed the data wall. So how can I, as a leader, support the teacher in teaching this student and how, um, how can I I support that student. Uh, so there's always that thinking about um, how the students are doing, what performance tasks they're doing, and how can I support the teacher with resources that they might need for just-in-time uh, work with the student. So that's certainly one thing that I think about, starting off out the, at the wall, taking a face figuratively off the wall, and going to find out how that face um, is uh, being supported and how that teacher is being supported. So for me, the first thing is at the at the data wall. So we're looking at that. The second thing in the classroom um, is to also look at the learning uh, environment in the classroom. So I found the student, I've asked the student some question, but I might before I leave look at the uh, learning environment and see if there are um, Uh, pieces of student work, um, for example, on the walls, there's evidence of student voice in the classroom, and there's um, real um, evidence of students co-constructing that learning environment with the teachers. Mm -hmm. So there's evidence of student work everywhere. Yeah, and Lynn, you mentioned the five questions that you ask students. Mm-hmm. What are those five questions? So I, I start by asking, what are you learning? And it's really important it's actually the word learning, not doing. Mm-hmm. So not what you're doing, but what are you learning? And why are you learning that? So, so for me, it's pretty clear that if the student can answer that question, that teachers have been very specific and detailed in deconstructing the learning intentions from the curriculum expectations. The second question is, how are you doing in that learning? At least that's what we say at home. Um, But I know you say here, how are you going in that (laughs) learning? And uh, I I want to uh, listen for evidence of students understanding how to be successful. And they might say, um, well, I can, and it will be an I can statement that would be in the room. And so I might ask the student to come and show me where are those success criteria so you know how well you're doing. Then the um, next question is, how do you know how you're doing in that learning? So there's a direct relation between that question and the descriptive feedback the students have been given, um, given to each other, always based on the success criteria. The next question is, um, how do you improve? 
And we want students to be able to articulate what they need to do next. If they've got visible um, co-constructed success criteria in the classroom, they're able to reference, here's where I am and here's where I'm going to go next. And finally, the last question I ask is, where do you go for help if you're stuck? And for me, it's all about students understanding um, how to be resilient learners, where to go to find what they're um, needing support in. So for example, they might say, well, I go to um, Billy, he's really expert in this math uh, work we're doing. Or they might say, I go to a friend. Um, they might say, uh, I check things out with my mom and dad. <laughs> I heard that today. Uh, or they might say, um, the teacher. I, I, uh, I asked the teacher. But what's important to me is they have strategies beyond the teacher. So um, we all want students, of course, to, to need their teachers. We also want students to be re really resilient about where they go, whether it's something online to support them or whether it's their peers in the classroom. Mm. And Lynn, if students are able to answer these questions confidently, mm -hmm. what do you feel that reveals <coughs> about the teaching that's taking place? I'm glad you asked that <laughs> because I um, tried to make the link just now between these questions um, that we've researched uh, and developed and um, clarity in assessment uh, that informs instruction. So for me, um, assessment literacy is about uh, teachers planning together, using the curriculum expectations, what the learning intention is for a unit, and then unpacking and deconstructing the vocabulary in that learning intention with the students, and then displaying it in the classroom. So there's an anchor chart that students can always refer to about what they're learning. And the next question relates to co-constructing success criteria. Mm -hmm. So um, these questions align with um, that strong uh, research-based and evidence-proven work around assessment that drives instruction. So it's about learning intentions and success criteria from the curriculum expectations. It's about uh, descriptive feedback that students receive uh, directly based on the success criteria. It's about uh, peer and self-assessment that also uh, is given to each other and students in the classroom and students evaluating their own work, also against the success criteria. And finally, it's about uh, these questions relate directly to um, students being able to set their own goals for learning, knowing how to improve, but it's always based on the success criteria. So just in thinking about assessment literacy, I really want to highlight how important it is that we start with the curriculum. We have a strong learning intention that begins with we are learning too. And then we have um, co-constructed success criteria with the students that start I can, so the I can statements. And that uh, teachers together have uh, co-planned the learning intentions and success criteria first, but they think about in that planning how they ensure teacher uh, students understand the intentions and are living in that co-constructed success criteria. Yeah, and Lynn, when you say walk the walls, what does that mean exactly? So when I go into classrooms uh, uh, with my colleagues, I first take a moment and look around the classroom uh, space and think about uh, that learning environment as the third teacher. And I talk often about that. So the first teacher is, um, of course, the parent. The second teacher is the teacher in the classroom, but the third teacher is that learning space. And how is that learning space designed to support the students in the classroom? And is it really um, a space that students own as well as the teacher? So I walk the walls, I think about um, what's on the walls in terms of, um, of student thinking, of student voice, and I think about the classroom space as not being 
Pinterest perfect. Mm -hmm. I like tidy at home, but I really think that the spaces that our students learn in must be uh, co-constructed um, with what's important for the students and the teachers. So I do walk the walls. I look at what um, students are thinking about, uh, and I look at the performance tasks to see if they're higher order before I then go to find the face um, that uh, I can ask those questions to, and then um, leave thinking about and looking for evidence of that assessment literacy so that uh, I'll look at those anchor charts. Are the supports there in the classroom that have been co-constructed with students and are really helpful to them in identifying their next steps for learning and their learning goals? Coming up, Dr. Lynn Sherritt delves into how to go about facilitating discussions outside of the classroom. And we also hear questions from the audience. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. We believe in lifelong learning that empowers educators to unlock the potential of their students, schools and communities. Continue your learning with the Melbourne Graduate School of Education to enrich the potential of your students and shape the classroom. And Lynn, let's talk about the conversations that take place afterwards. Because from what I understand, it involves the walker or walking team moving outside of the classroom and discussing the observable practices. When done well, what does this look like? So um, we're looking into classrooms to uh, really discern students' thinking, hearing students' voice, and looking for that evidence of assessment. And when um, we're not talking to each other and we're not writing notes, but what's very important that when we come out of the classroom as uh, colleagues walking together or even by ourselves, uh, that we know what we've seen. And so it's important as well when we come outside to have those conversations that we move away from the teacher's line of sight because it isn't about evaluation. I'd never want to give teachers the impression that we were talking about them or making notes about them. So when we come outside of the classroom, I can't always remember what I see for long periods of time, so I do make some notes away from that classroom uh, uh, door and windows. And then with uh, the person or the people I'm walking with, I ask, what, what did you notice? What did we see? And then I, and so that's kind of the retell. Uh, and then I ask, why is that important to us? Why is that meaningful? So that's the relate. Relate that to the literature you know about or the experiences you've had. And then I uh, usually ask a question, um, uh, what lessons did we learn from that? What will we take away from uh, that uh, experience in the classroom? So I always think of that structure, retell, relate, reflect. And that's a structure I've used for a long time. Uh, I teach at the university now, and I still ask my students to uh, ref use that structure um, in the internship programs that we work on together. So it's a, it's a really important um, structure, I think, for teaching students as well, because it's not just about recount or retell. It's very simple. We will always want uh, to be able to make connections, to relate um, to our experience, to the literature we we've been reading, and also reflect. Um, reflect on, is there something I want to ask this teacher about? Is there something that I want to come back again and check out? Um, that I are, or is there something that my colleagues have said to me in this uh, conversation that I didn't even notice in the classroom? So I might say to everyone, did you see that? I didn't see that. Um, perhaps we need to go back in again and have another look. So uh, it's, it's very powerful to work with um, and walk with one other person mm -hmm. if we can uh, find that time or a small group of colleagues. So today, for example, I've been working with um, the Knox Network here in uh, 
Melbourne, and we walked together in small groups, and the conversations were really dynamic, powerful, and deep, because we had an opportunity to hear what others saw and why it was meaningful for them, and reflect on, is that something that's happening in my school or not happening that perhaps we could work towards? Yeah. And Lynn, how many walks in a classroom would you say should take place before those professional discussions? Yeah, I'm really reticent to put a number on <laughs> on the the uh, number of of uh, walks in a classroom. I just want to say that after one five to seven minute walk in a classroom, we can't possibly ask a teacher an authentic question that we want to know more about. So I think it's more about building that relationship and trust. And the questions need to be very authentic about what we want to learn more about to become an even better instructional leader. So it might be after one or two times in the classroom, might be after 20 times in the classroom. It really does start with relationship building and trust and also being an authentic leader. This is something I don't know. Um, I'd really like to ask you a little bit about why you do whatever, but it needs to be uh, said in a very thoughtful and respectful way mm -hmm. and never judgmental. Mm -hmm. Did I say that already? <laughs> <laughs> and what are some ex sample reflective questions that you would ask those teachers? I'm always interested in um, how uh, our teachers plan for instruction. What do they think about? So I often ask, what, what are some of the things that are important to you when you plan uh, for instruction? And I'm, I'm always also interested in how uh, teachers think through differentiating the instruction for this small group of learners uh, or this small group. Another thing uh, I'm interested in asking is, um, how do you group for instruction? How do you ensure that um, your groups are flexible and, and fluid? And what are the things that you think about? Teachers think about so many things. <laughs> I just um, am fascinated by the groupings or perhaps the arrangement of the uh, classroom furniture. And as I go about um, walking in, in classrooms right across the globe, I see some pretty interesting uh, arrangements of um, of student furniture and new furniture and ergonomic furniture. <laughs> and I think about um, what do teachers think about uh, when they co-construct that learning space? Yeah. And Lynn, you've said that learning walks and talks provide an opportunity for school leaders to understand high impact classroom practice and work towards achieving it in every classroom reducing variation in practice in mm. and across the school. This is really interesting. So how does it reduce variation in practice? Ah. So um, one of the things we know from the literature, and actually um, I worked alongside uh, Ken Leithwood uh, at our university, and uh, he, he really talked a lot about the greatest variation uh, in teaching practice is within a school as opposed to across schools. So I always think about that and have conversations with Ken about that. How do we find first what are the um, high impact instructional strategies and then how do we ensure that they're not in small pockets in a few classrooms but across all classrooms. And I find John Hattie's work very helpful uh, in identifying those high impact practices um, with his effect sizes. So um, they really do align with my thinking about high impact practices and um, what I look for in classrooms are um, practices that ensure higher order thinking and are the tasks that students given um, higher order. So I think about rich tasks, uh, robust tasks. I think about that um, strength uh, in gradual release when I uh, see teachers who are modeling, sharing, guiding, and uh, creating independent readers and writers in 
and critical thinkers. I think about a, accountable talk as a high impact strategy in, in classrooms. So uh, those are the things that I'm looking for. And um, as a principal of a school, if I find a teacher who uh, really is effective in using uh, one of those high impact practices, uh, then I ask that teacher if, um, if she or he would be willing to work with a small group of teachers who might not be there yet. So um, it's always important for me to walk and find strength um, in teachers who are using high impact practices and think about how they might share their knowledge, whether it's at a staff meeting or a professional learning community uh, gathering. Always thinking about ensuring that those high-impact practices aren't in pockets, but go across all, all the school, um, the whole school, and, all, and also across many schools. So mm. we're always thinking about where can we identify a teacher who's willing to share their craft knowledge. Yeah. And Lynn, you've also said that it's important to give teachers opportunity to become consciously skilled mm -hmm. and articulate about their expertise. We need to make sure teachers can articulate why something is working and why it may not be. Do these conversations help to do this? Mm, absolutely. And, and that really refers to our 14 parameter research. The first parameter is uh, shared beliefs and understandings. And it is number one of those 14 for a reason. It is probably the hardest to do and the most important. And uh, within that parameter number one, the last dimension of it is that we can all articulate why we do what we do every single day. So um, if we can't articulate why we're doing it, um, then we need to stop it and really be able to say, this, I'm, I'm using this practice because I have measured my impact uh, and it's making a difference for my students. So conversations with teachers really can focus on what's working for you, what are you having, um, uh, what are you doing that makes an impact with your um, students? And sharing that craft knowledge um, and giving time to for, for teachers to share that craft knowledge uh, is very important so that um, we're creating um, a quality uh, teaching uh, workforce who are very artic articulate about what's working, what's having an impact. Uh, it starts with those conversations uh, about sharing craft knowledge with others. Yeah. And to finish off, we've spoken a lot about the benefits for teachers and leaders, but what are the benefits of learning walks and talks on students? Well, you know, it goes to that parameter number one as well. Um, can students articulate uh, what they're learning why are they learning it? And can they articulate how they're doing and how can they improve? And what will be their next steps? And where they can go for help if they're stuck? So um, learning walks and talks give students an opportunity to articulate um, what they know about their own learning. And by through the, I think through that articulation, they own their own learning and their own next steps for improvement. Mm. Fantastic. Well, that's all from me. We're going to take some questions now from our audience. Our first question comes from Caitlin Power, a former primary school teacher from Melbourne. Caitlin has a question about creating a comfortable and trusting environment for learning walks and talks. Thanks, Rebecca, and thank you, Dr. Sharat. It's been really inspiring listening to you speak tonight. Thank you. And uh, it's every now and then I have fleeting moments of of you know, wishing that I was back in the teaching sphere and tonight's definitely been full of those <laughs> moments. So thank you. Um, in my experience as a teacher and working on a leadership team, uh, I've noticed it's quite common among teachers to feel quite anxious mm -hmm. and self-confident, uh, sorry, lacking self-confidence when they're advised that members of the leadership team or colleagues mm -hmm. may be wandering through their classrooms and offering you know, critiques on their teaching practice. Mm. Um, I know that you've elaborated, or you have spoken about that uh, this evening, but I'm wondering if, if you have, say, a specific story or an experience where 
you've been able to successfully create a comfortable and trusting environment for learning walks to take place where perhaps teachers were quite lacking in that self-confidence prior? Well, I have to say that um, in, um, in Ontario where I work, um, we've been doing this for many years. And uh, they've evolved, actually, which I find really interesting. We started um, with literacy walks and talks because our, our priority was literacy. And then they evolved into instructional walks and talks because we wanted to focus in on instruction. Um, in my later writing, I've called them learning walks and talks because they are about learning and they're not about evaluation. So when I think of that evolution of my walking and uh, talking with students and teachers, um, I think about how um, we have to create that atmosphere that it, or that environment, I guess, that it's about us as becoming even better instructional leaders. It's not about evaluating and making teachers feel uncomfortable. And I think you can only get that level of comfort by doing it often and honestly without giving teachers feedback, especially critical feedback ever, but giving teachers feedback um, after five minutes in a classroom. I think the conversations with teachers have to happen after many times being in a in a teacher's in that teacher's classroom. And they're honest conversations. And often um, the conversations are um, I've been in your classroom today and I was wondering about um, how you're grouping for instruction. And the teacher often says, hmm, I've never thought about that. Um, so I, I find, I said, oh, that's really something that um, uh, I'm interested in because uh, I know you group flexibly for instruction. I've seen you do that. And so often the conversation is quite flowing and easy and, uh, and teachers actually really enjoy the conversations. They want to talk more about what, uh, what we notice together and they might um, say, in my experience as an administrator, they say, well, what do you think I should do differently? And then we work on it together. So it's, to me, it's all about uh, all conversations being uh, about co-construction, thinking through the opportunities together. And, and I just want to say to you as well that um, I never talk about problems of practice. I think we have to be really careful with our language. I talk about what might be the next best learning move we could make? So I think it's about being careful of, with your questioning, with your conversations, and being really true to what you really want to know about, and having that dialogue. Fantastic. Our next question comes from Michelle Di Giovanni, a primary school teacher and learning specialist. She has a question on preparing staff for the learning walks and talks. Um, Lynn, my question, as was um, stated, is around preparing staff uh, for this new approach. And um, so you see authenticity, so the real everyday teaching, instead of that uh, comment that you made about Pinterest perfect. Oh, thank you. Um, it's really important that if you have never um, conducted a learning walk and talk in classrooms, that teachers understand what you're doing differently, why you're doing it differently, and really uh, asking teachers to have a voice on what we should be looking for. So it, to me, goes back to um, our school plan um, for, we call them school plans for continuous improvement. What are the look for's in the school plan? That's what I'll be looking for. But it's really important that our teachers together talk about, well, what are the look for's? in the school plan and what would you be looking for in the classroom walks so that we get teacher buy-in to help us with the look for's what are we what are we looking for not something that's a secret or a mystery or a surprise it's all about um, having those conversations together first so we really understand um, why we're all walking in classrooms and I guess maybe I didn't say before that um, ultimately we walk as leaders but uh, my vision would be that um, leaders and teacher leaders walk together and teachers 
walk together with other teachers. That to me is the ultimate. That's what we really want to see. This starts out as becoming an even better instructional leader, but certainly the vision and goal would be that we all become even better instructional leaders and that teachers see themselves as leaders, leaders in our classroom, and they walk together as colleagues and they develop their own workforce. What are they looking for based on what we know is most impactful practice? The next question from our audience comes from Wilhelmina Mostert, a senior education consultant from Rethink Education. She's been working with a middle school in Darwin and has a question about their practice. Okay, so at, I'm here. <laughs> at Dripstone Middle School in, in Darwin, Northern Territory, um, Teachers are engaged in one-on-one in -on -one collaborative data inquiry meetings with myself, so I work as that, that knowledgeable other. And together we examine student reading data, their torch data, and we do that diagnostically and we, we work uh, with the wall. Um, we co-plan those literacy interventions to accelerate reading performance for groups of students that are clustered along the developmental reading continuum. That's, that's all working. We're at the stage now where we need to start walking. Mm -hmm. And so my questions are around leadership and, um, and that whole area of, of shared beliefs and understanding. Mm -hmm. So how critical is it then for walkers to have a shared understanding of what best practice powerful pedagogy looks like and sounds like? And what is the most effective and efficient way to ensure that walkers and instructional leaders are on the same page? So we're all looking for the same things. Absolutely. And then once we've got that and we've collected and gathered that data, what do we then do with that data to both feed back mm -hmm. but also to feed forward mm -hmm. into what our next steps are going to be? Thanks very much for that question and I just... Um, I applaud you for co-planning and I think um, you know the next steps around co-planning are also then finding time to co-teach mm. uh, with each other, um, walk together with each other, co-debrief together and co-reflect on your next steps. And um, for me that process of um, we call it the co-teaching cycle really um, dovetails and integrates with learning walks and talks as well not only are we um, co-planning and co-teaching and thinking about our teaching we're also identifying the look for us of what's look what's uh, having an impact so uh, my favorite um, thing to do at the university is um, teach with another professor and uh, co-plan, co-teach, and then during the co-teaching saying to each other, well, that didn't work very well, did it? Let's, uh, let's regroup the next time. So we actually get into a lesson study where we, we do that teaching and then um, we have an opportunity to teach another section and we tweak that. Um, we tweak our lesson and or uh, our coursework, we tweak uh, the syllabus as well so that we have another opportunity to measure our impact and get feedback from our, our students on what was working, what wasn't working, what was terrible, what should we do about that. Um, my students are just a little bit older so they can give us real feedback about, um, yeah, that was terrible, so uh, you need to change up your lesson. But we're always looking, I think, um, for feedback from our students. And uh, I think about students in foundation years giving us feedback um, by um, the conversations we have with them, the work samples that they're doing, as well as uh, students in year 12 who are very um, astute and able to give us honest feedback. So as we work together, we're developing our look for's for our learning walks and talks. and. Um, the other part of your question uh, is what are we going to do with the data we collect? And that's a really important question for me because if this is data collection, how are we recording 
uh, what we're observing and um, what are we going to do uh, with those observations to ensure that um, we change up our professional learning if we're not seeing evidence of impact of our professional learning. So when I think about you uh, co-planning uh, together uh, and walking together, I also, also think you need to uh, think about a template you might design to record your observations and then reflect on how do we need to change our professional uh, learning sessions if we're not seeing evidence of what we've been working so hard on right across the staff. Up next, we have a question from Will Newman, who's a casual relief teacher. His question for Lynn centers around learning walks and talks for a CRT. Will? Thank you, Rebecca. Um, and thank you, Dr. Lynn Sharrett, for this insightful look into quite a powerful uh, leadership approach. Um, I'm a casual relief teacher in the early stage of my career. Uh, despite being a CRT teacher, I tend to be offered uh, quite a lot of work in the same school on quite a consistent basis. Uh, it's always great to receive feedback on the work you're doing as a teacher. So I think I could benefit a lot from having a learning walk and talk take place in my classroom. Uh, I was wondering though, what would a learning walk and talk look like in a CRT's classroom? Would there be anything different about the way it took place or the feedback that I would, I would receive afterwards? Thanks very much, Will. Um, when I think about doing learning walks and talks in schools, I ask the principal and leadership team, are there some classrooms that are closed for us? And um, it's often that principals and leadership teams are reluctant to go into um, classrooms. Um, we call them, we call them, um, occasional teachers or supply teachers, and you call them casual, you call yourself a casual release teacher. Um, I'll just say CRT. Uh, <laughs> we really are reluctant because um, I think it's quite unfair if you're there for a day to have um, people come into your classroom uh, and, um, and walk around the classroom when you might not know the process and you wonder why these people are in your classroom. So actually, um, I don't usually go into CRT classrooms. Um, however, if you're looking for feedback, there might be other ways of getting that feedback. Uh, I think about the process I, I've been involved um, in um, looking at and reflecting on here in Victoria, and that's peer observation. If you are uh, a CRT that comes back and back and back to a, a classroom or to a school, you might want to uh, engage in a peer observation where someone um, will give you some feedback um, on something you want to improve about your practice. And there, um, there, I think there are other ways that you might want to do, um, want to get feedback. I'm not sure that learning walks and talks are that, are that way. We really actually want to give you a break. <laughs> if you're only there for a day, I think it's um, not fair to come in your classroom and be walking around. <laughs> Thank you. And finally, our last question of the night comes from Danielle DiStefano, a mathematics leader from St. Damien's School in Bandura. Her question tonight is being asked on behalf of the leadership team at her school. Danielle? Thanks, Rebecca. Hi, Lynn. At St. Damien's, we really are at the beginning stage of our journey working with your work around the 14 parameters. Mm -hmm. And this term, we have begun learning walks and talks, primarily around reading, um, and because reading is our focus on our annual action plan. Um, and you have already touched on aspects of my question, but what we would really like to know is what is your definition of many walks and talks and what does the feedback look like in relation to time and place and is it given to the individual teacher or to a group of teacher in a PLT, for example? Right. Thank you. Thank you uh, for that, Danielle. I, um, I mentioned that uh, I don't like to put a number on how many is many. Uh, I think it's really important that uh, we're comfortable, comfortable in a conversation with uh, our teachers and that we um, have established uh, 
a trusting relationship. Uh, I also want to expand on um, who we give uh, feedback to and how we give that feedback. Uh, I think about giving feedback after many walks, and as I said, I haven't put a number on it, but having a relationship with the teacher, the feedback is more about a conversation. I don't give feedback on here's not here's what I'm not seeing. Um, there are other ways to deal with that. Um, so for me, it's that conversation that is um, bumped up. Actually, it's a conversation at the beginning, but the conversation could be bumped up because teachers ask, "Well, what do you think about this? Uh, well, should I try this?" Um, or should I try this? So it becomes a conversation about practice. And uh, it starts off with a simple um, observation I might make uh, or a question, an authentic question I might have, but then uh, gets into a deeper conversation if the teacher is willing to go there. Another way to give feedback is to um, do daily walks and talks in your school and then at a staff meeting or a PLC meeting say, I've been doing many walks and talks and uh, here's what I've been observing. And um, so I'll point out some of the things that we've been noticing, the flexible grouping, the balanced literacy approach, the model shared guided independent uh, work, the three-part math lesson, uh, co-constructing success criteria. Those are all things that I would feed back on that I'm seeing. And then I might say, and I think our next best learning move is X. And in that way, it's to the whole staff, the feedback. Um, it doesn't single one uh, teacher out who may not have co-constructed success criteria, uh, or several people may not have co-constructed success criteria. It gives me an opportunity to say, we might think about uh, our next um, learning move, uh, establishing some criteria around how do we flexibly group for instruction, or how do we together learn how to co-construct success criteria using strong and weak examples of student work anonymously. Um, so for me, there are many opportunities to have conversations with whole staff, with, with small groups of staff, or with individual teachers. But they're always non-evaluative. And that's all we have time for. Thank you to our audience members for coming along to the first ever Teacher Talks live podcast event. A special thank you to those in the audience who asked your insightful questions tonight. And of course, Dr. Lynn Sharrett, thank you for sharing your work, your expertise and your insights with us. It's oh, been brilliant. It has been great. Thanks so much. And for those of you listening to the podcast, thank you for joining us. I'll include a link to Lynn Sharrett's book, Clarity, What Matters Most in Learning, Teaching and Leading in the transcript for this podcast, which you'll find at teachermagazine.com.au and stay tuned for the release of tickets to our next Teacher Talks live podcast event. We'll be sharing details of this via our email bulletin. So make sure you subscribe to that. That way you never miss a story. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher, supported by the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. Continue your learning to enrich the potential of your students and shape the classroom.